0: Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 2. Book of Exodus, chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. We're going to read through verse 25. If you would stand with me as we read God's word. The book of Exodus, chapter 2, verse 11 through verse 25. This is God's word. One day... When Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? When then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may come eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom, For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. This is the word of the Lord. If you would lift your hands with me as we come to God in prayer. Lord, we pray that from your word, you would fill us with your grace and with hope that you would give us wisdom and instruction, that you would rebuke and correct us, that you would set us on the paths that we need to be on to glorify your holy name. We pray that you do a great work among us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In a lot of modern day technology, there, there has been the creation of, of what is known as facial recognition devices. All right? Some of you have it on your phones, facial recognition, where, where, where it unlocks the phone when it recognizes the unique features of your face. The idea is that it recognizes you and it gives access to you because it. It identifies your unique characters. And this has been pretty handy, although some people are suspect because they don't want to give the man their fingerprints and their facial recognition information. I can identify, you know. But one of the things that we need to appreciate about how we read scripture is that God has built in facial recognition features in his word. So that we will recognize Jesus Christ when we get to him in the pages of the New Testament and in the pages of our life today. God, all through his word, he crafts carefully this narrative, this story that helps us to recognize who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, what Jesus has come to do and what we can expect of him. And when we see what we can expect of him, well, then it flips to what he can expect of us. Last week, we began a new series in the book of Exodus. All right, we, we're kicking off a series in the book of Exodus, and we're going to walk through this book for a good while. It's one of the most important books in the scriptures for understanding the rest of scripture. A lot of foundations are laid down here. A lot of insight and information, a lot of structures are built here that we can build the meaning of Scripture upon. And we opened last week by saying that redemption stories are everywhere in our culture. They're everywhere. Hollywood is selling redemption. It's in the movies. It's in the daily news. When we, every once in a while when, when we decide we want to we wanna share a little good news instead of bad news, Stories of someone recovering, stories of someone coming up from, from nothing, stories of people getting out of suffering and entering, entering into victory or joy. Redemption's everywhere. Hollywood's making billions off of it. And one of the reasons why we love stories of redemption is because if we're honest, we know how badly we need it. We need to believe that redemption is possible We need to believe that redemption is possible for people like us, that it's possible to go from rags to riches, that it's possible to go from despair into hope, that it's possible to go from bondage into freedom. We said that the title over the book Exodus, the Hebrew name for the book is these are the names of. It wasn't, you know, fancy enough. So the the translators into Greek, they called it Exodus, a Greek compound word, ex-hadas, which means the way out. And aren't we all looking for a way out? We're looking for a way out of the things we feel stuck in. A way out of the sin that clutches us. A way out of of, out of the heaviness that burdens us. We're looking for a way out. And what God is giving us in this story is his way out, the only way out. And so we opened up this, this book by talking about the big theme of redemption. And we began to tip into the good news in the book, which is centered on God's mediator. And so this morning, I want us to get the facial recognition features of the mediator according to the text. We're going to look at the marks of a mediator. And we're going to hit this through two points. We're going to see what you can expect of the mediator and what the mediator can expect of you. What you can expect of the mediator and what the mediator can expect of you. So let's look at our first point, what you can expect of the mediator. Now, last week, we noted that the mediator was born into the conflict of his people, He was born amidst the fears of his people. He was born under the evil tyranny and abuse of power and oppression of his people. He was born under the same death sentence as his people. But here's the deal Moses didn't choose any of that. It was not, Moses had nothing to do with that. But in our text for this morning, a new scene develops and a new idea advances. I want you to notice that we're given the details about his birth and then we skip over his childhood and young adulthood straight to the beginning of his ministry. Does that sound familiar? Okay, just checking. (laughs) Moses was born into this situation in verses 1 through 10. But with verse 11, check it out. We see the mediator's will, his choice to enter into a mess that he did not make and to deal with problems that he did not create. And to bear burdens he did not have to bear in order to make right what he did not make wrong. God is saying to his people, that's what you can expect of a mediator. In verse 11, check it out. When Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Remember. Moses was brought up in the royal court by the daughter of Pharaoh. He was free from the sufferings and troubles of the Hebrews. He had all the royal amenities. He didn't have to expose himself. He could have easily rationalized staying right where he was, thanking God for his blessings and being willing to pray for the Hebrews Out there, his brothers and sisters who are suffering less fortunate circumstances. But that's not what a mediator does. Moses voluntarily divests himself from the place of royalty and renounces the pleasures, the power, and the privilege of Egypt. He did not count his status in Egypt a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form. Of a servant. He chose to share in the sufferings of his people in order to defend the people of God. The mediator bears the reproach of his people and he carries their hardship and their contempt. The mediator is not content with warm feelings from afar, he makes the difficult choice. Because he cares more about who's hurting than who's watching and cheering him on. In Acts chapter 7, verse 23, when Stephen is giving his speech before the council that will eventually stone him and make a martyr of him, he walks through the story of Scripture. He walks through redemptive history. And when he gets to Moses, this is what he says about Moses. This is what he says. When he was 40 years old, It came into his heart to visit his brothers. What Stephen's telling us is that the mediator, when he looks back on mediator Moses, he sees one with a heart full of the other. And this heart is what leads him to the difficult decision to go out to his people. And not just to go out to his people, but to willingly identify with his people. You notice The possessive pronouns, right? His people. He he claims them as his own beloved. And not just to willingly identify with his people, but to look on their burdens with grief rather than indifference. The way the Hebrews working in this text, when it talks about him looking on the afflictions, the burdens of his people It's it's set up in such a way that it lets us know it's not mere observation. He's looking in lament. His heart is torn. He's broken by what he sees for his people. The burden under which they labor. It's not indifferent. Moses laments their situation. And what you do not lament in the world, you will not resist or repair in the world. If you don't lament it, you won't resist it or repair it. All true actions of the mediator begin with a heart full of the other and a lament of the idea that they are not experiencing shalom. They are not experiencing the life for which they were made by God. They're not experiencing the kind of fullness that God would have for them. And as the scenery changes for Moses, we come to a turning point in the story, y'all. In verse 11, it says, And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Notice again the possessive pronoun beating his people. In verse 12, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Now, I think there's something going on here, but I need, to, I need to break it down a little bit, okay? Usually, I think when we read this text, we, we look at it like this. This is, this is how we read the text. Moses saw an Egyptian beating one of his people, and he looked this way, and he looked that, to make sure no one was gonna scope out the thing he was about to do because he knew he was about to do wrong. And then he killed the Egyptian and buried him and he hit him in the sand. I don't think that's the idea going on here. I don't think that's the idea going on here. The text is, is, is getting at something very different. And we need to pick up on this if we're going to appreciate the mediator. If we're going to get the marks of the mediator to see what you can expect of this mediator. Here's the deal. I think this is the right reading and I'm going to tell you why. When Moses looks this way and that. It's like he's looking to and fro. Is anyone going to do anything? And when it says he, he looked and he saw that there was no one. Vayera ein ish. If you grab that Hebrew phrase and you search it all through the Hebrew scriptures, there is one other place where that Hebrew phrase is used. And it's in the book of Isaiah chapter 59. And in this chapter, there is a lament by the prophet of the evil and the oppression That he sees out there. I want to read a little bit of this to give you a flavor of it. And then I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to hit it straight on the head. Isaiah 59 beginning with verse 8. The way of peace they do not know. And there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore justice is far from us. And righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us for our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Listen, here it comes. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. ish. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation. Do you see what's happening here? The mediator, Moses, looks this way and he looks that way and he sees that there's no one to intercede. There is no one to get involved. There's no one to interrupt the oppression that's going on in the lives of his people. And so he decides that when there's no one else to do it, he will do it. He's going to get involved. He's going to intervene. He's going to step in. He's going to step up. Do you see what the text is saying about the mediator? This is what you can expect of a mediator. There's nobody rising up. No one to stop the injustice. So he takes action. He executes justice. He fights for the vulnerable. Verse 12. This is so good. He struck down the Egyptian. Moses' action here is, is, I want you to see this. The word for strike, he strikes the Egyptian, nakah. It's the same verb that's used when God strikes Egypt. In other words, this is a foretaste of the judgment that is coming by God. This is a foretaste of the justice that God is going to unleash upon the oppressor to set his people free. So Moses is an anticipation. He's a foretaste of the coming justice. He gets involved. He intervenes as an agent of the holy God in order to set the people free. The Lord says in Exodus 320, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Nakah, Egypt, with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Exodus twelve twelve. for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike Nakah, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. Listen, let me make it plain. Moses sees that there's no one to act, so he acts. He doesn't wait for someone else to get around to it. He doesn't leave it for somebody else to deal with. He doesn't text his friends to find out if they're gonna go show up for it. He doesn't need to see a bunch of other people agreeing that's a good idea. He doesn't tweet about the injustice from the comfort of Pharaoh's palace while doing nothing. He doesn't sit by idly analyzing the system. He doesn't sit around reading books about the history of injustice in Egypt. He doesn't spend all of his time critiquing all the other people who aren't doing anything. He sees the need of the vulnerable person right in front of him and he acts. I know I'm talking to somebody in here. That's what we have in the text. And instead of waggling on the tee, swing the club, do it, act. This is what, this is, you know what the text is inviting us to? Everyday justice. Everyday ordinary life justice. In your local place. If you're skipping over people who need you to act in order to get to the bigger stuff, you're missing it. You're missing what's going on in this text. Moses rises up to do something about it. And this is what you can expect of a mediator. Verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Listen, here we see that the mediator doesn't just interrupt the violence and oppression that's happening between God's people and their enemy. He holds God's people to accountability for not treating one another like enemies. Because guess what? The same word for strike, the Hebrew striking the Hebrew is nakah. You're, you're dealing with one another. You're treating one another like enemies. Moses, he, he, he calls them to account. And I'm going to tell you, there needs to be a broad accounting in the church for the way that we deal with one another. Especially on the hot button issues of the day. It is utterly unacceptable to treat one another like enemies. And from the context of different unacceptable, the mediator is calling his people to account. You must not treat one another like enemies. The mediator is not having it. When Moses questions the man in the wrong, verse 14, the man shoots back. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Here. Facial recognition. We see Moses become the rejected mediator. They don't want him. He becomes the rejected mediator, rejected by the people he came to help. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it. Now, listen, I want you to start piecing this together. There's only one possible way that Pharaoh would have found out about what Moses did. There were three people, Moses, the Egyptian who is now deceased, and the man that he came to rescue. In other words, Moses is also the betrayed mediator. He's betrayed by the one he came for. Was the man going to Pharaoh to get his 30 pieces of silver to try and curry favor? Because he was afraid that he was going to be associated with this this Moses character who who had fought against Egypt. He betrays Moses. Verse 16, but when he arrives in Midian, we see the mediator in exile. Listen, he is utterly estranged as he arrives in Midian. His own people don't want him. He's, just, he's, he's estranged from his home, his former home in Egypt. He's by himself. But even though he's by himself, he doesn't stop being the same mediator. Because when he gets to Midian, he continues to defend and rescue the vulnerable. And all of the details of the mediator, Moses... Help us to fill in the picture of what we can expect from the true and greater mediator, Jesus Christ. Do you see the features of his face coming clear in this text? This text is facial recognition. When Jesus looks into Exodus 2, it opens up for him. That's what I'm saying. This is all about him. This is all about Jesus. It's meant to heighten and, and prepare us for the one to come. Let's recap. What can you expect of the mediator? And I'm flipping it to Jesus now. What can you expect of the mediator? Jesus goes out to those in need because those in need have come into his heart. Jesus chooses to identify with the vulnerable to the point that it costs him. He doesn't commute from heaven to earth every day. He makes his abode with us. Jesus views the vulnerable sinner as his brothers, his sisters, his people, his family. Possessive pronouns, y'all. Jesus voluntarily chooses the life of discomfort and divests himself from the place of royalty and pleasure to bear our reproach and our burden. We can be glad today, y'all. We can be glad today that when the Lord looked around and he saw that there was no man to intercede, that he would send the God man to intercede. When there was no one that could help us, when there was no one who could free us, when there was no one who would care about us, when there was no one who could lift us, love lifted me. Jesus entered in as our mediator. He looked and he saw that there was none and then his right arm worked salvation. (laughs) The wonder of wonders, the mystery of the gospel though, is that Jesus struck down sin, death, and the devil by being struck down himself. Jesus now holds his people accountable. So that they do not treat one another like the enemy and practice the very antagonism that has no place in the household of God. When they commit the very wrongs that were done against them, they are off base. They are off base with what it means to be set free. Aggression, accusation and antagonism have no place within the household of God. None. Jesus is rejected and mistreated by the very people that he came to help, who made you taskmaster. Jesus is betrayed by the very people he came to rescue. He's betrayed by Judas, he's forsaken by Peter, and he is abandoned by all. That's the mark of the mediator. But why does all this matter? Why, why does all this matter? First, it matters because you and I need to recognize God's mediator. There, Paul said there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. And if you are under the burden of sin today. If you are under the burden of oppression today. If you are under the weight of guilt and shame today. Today. There is one way to be free, and that is God's mediator, Jesus Christ. You are invited this morning to lay hold of him by faith alone. Faith alone. All you need is your nothing and you get his everything. The second reason why this matters this morning is because our expectations of the mediator are returned in his expectations toward us, which brings us to our second point. What the mediator can expect of you now, listen, we need to remember the situation of the first audience. Israel, Israel is in the desert and they are getting the, the telling of the story. They're coming to understand how it is they, that they are out of Egypt, how they have been set free, how it is that they're on the journey to the promised land. And as they read this, this is supposed to shape the way in which they interact with Moses. Because they've been struggling. They've been struggling to submit and humble themselves before God's mediator. They've been struggling to follow God's mediator. They have been grumbling to God's mediator. They have been rejecting God's mediator. Resisting God's mediator. Maligning God's mediator. And they don't realize yet, to the full extent, how committed God is to making them to be the kind of nation that's represented by this kind of mediation. He wants them to become a mediatorial people. He wants them to become a community of mediators. That's why this matters. God expects them to become a certain kind of people. And listen, on this side of the cross, it clarifies even further. Jesus became our mediator so that we would become a community of mediators in the world. And this is what he can expect of us. If he interceded for you when there was no one to intercede then you must be the kind of person who intercedes for others when there's no one to intercede. Listen. If you are just before the Father by faith alone then you must be just before the world in your deeds. If in other words become who you are. You're the justified, be just. <laughs> Be just. You have been united. You've been united to the mediator. Be a mediator. Mediate. We are called to go out to those in need and to have them in our hearts. We're called to identify with the vulnerable to the point that it costs us. We're called to view the vulnerable sinner as a brother or a sister and to be our brother's keeper. We're called to choose every day, every day, y'all. It's not a one time event to divest ourselves of comforts that get in the way of us mediating, of us priesting for our city and our friends. When we look around and see no one to intercede, we are to rise up and do something. To do something, not to talk about it or merely study it or to form book clubs about it. That's all fine and good, but if that is replacing your actual life of interceding, interrupting, anywhere where there is a lack of shalom in your neighborhood, on your block, and whatever ways you can, don't sit back with analysis paralysis and try to figure out how to do it perfectly. Do something. Ask God for grace to act. You don't need to wait for me to tell you what to do. You have God's spirit. You don't need for me to proscribe and program everything for you. That was part of the intentional design of this church. Always to not clutter it up so much with church activity that you have no bandwidth to, to in real time to help the real people in your real path. Get creative. You're smart people and you have God's spirit and you have community. We can figure out ways to work this out, but, but do something. We are called to be accountable for how we care for one another, refusing to treat one another like enemies. We must be prepared, y'all, to be rejected and even betrayed as we do this work. But we must remember Jesus who did not stop interceding because he was rejected and betrayed. No, that heightened all the more the reason why he needed to intercede for us, why we needed him to do it. Listen, I'm gonna leave you with this. You don't have to be special for God to use you in somebody's life. You just have to be available. You don't have to be special. You just have to be available. You don't have to be particularly gifted or insightful you just got to be available. God will use your imperfect offering to accomplish his perfect work. He will he will continue to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. That's all he's ever done except for when it was with Jesus. So so throw off the fears and the analysis paralysis. Look around and see like the mediator saw. And look around and listen like God listened. Remember the the final portion of our passage. That God, that God heard. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the ancient covenant. And he was going to be faithful to the covenant. So listen, God heard, God remembered the covenant. God saw the people and God knew. And guess what we're to do? God's people are to hear the groaning. We are to remember the covenant love of God in Jesus Christ. We are to see the people around us. And we are to know. Know God's heart and know our neighbors in an intimacy through intercession. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to act in obedience. To respond to the good news of your word and to grow as a people that mediates for our neighbors. We ask that you would help us to do this by your spirit's power. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.